Welcome to the Person and the Power podcast with Pastor Tim Johnson, as he invites us to cultivate a deep and profound relationship with the Holy Spirit of the living and loving God. After 25 years of ministry, Pastor Tim's desire is that all of us would experience both the Spirit's transformational intimacy and the supernatural activity in our daily lives. Now, here's Pastor Tim. Hey, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. As always, don't know when you're listening, but thankful that you are. Really appreciate the support. Uh, So, so encouraging to hear from so many of you all doing the devotional and uh, the person and the power. I, I would love to say to you, keep it up. I would love to hear, I think I mentioned this at Bible study a week or so ago, I would love to hear from you all in September. Uh, keep keep sending me your notes and keep sending me here's what I'm finding out and keep sending me here's where I'm challenged and keep sending me here's where I'm struggling. I love to hear that. I, I truly think that's a pastor's dream. I think that's probably one of the, a pastor's number one goal and number one dream is to have his or her people engaged in the Word of God, digging into the Scriptures and learning and growing. I just, it's, for me, it's it's been a highlight to get texts from folk and voice texts and pictures of your notes and uh, phone calls and questions when I see you in person and uh, commenting on the Word of the day or the Bible study of the day or the challenge that has uh, challenged you. So I so appreciate that. Really do. It's so encouraging. And uh, thank you for tuning in. Um, You're going to find out today one of the reasons I can't stand the book of Judges. Yes, I said it. Uh, I've said it before, and I want to make sure you're clear. I believe, obviously, that the book of Judges is the Word of God. But that doesn't mean you have to like it. Uh, Judges is one of my least favorite books. And you're going to see one of the reasons here um, today as we dive into this chapter. Uh, We still find... The Spirit of God. We still find the Holy Spirit. Ruach HaKadosh. Ruach meaning breath or wind uh, or spirit. Ruach uh, 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 Ha. Ha meaning or of is the, is the word of. And then Kadosh is holy. So what we're saying when we say Ruach HaKadosh is spirit of holy. So the Holy Spirit. And uh, God's very own spirit. God's very own breath. And so we are looking through these next several weeks, whatever, however the Lord leads us. We're trying to be led by the Holy Spirit. But each week we're looking at finding the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and kind of going a little chronological. That doesn't mean we always will, but we continue to kind of journey that way this time. So, And we find ourselves in the book of Judges. But we'll, uh, we, saw, we were there last week. We're here again this week. Probably we'll be here again for the next couple of weeks. But Again, this is one of those stories you're like, oh, but we'll get to that here in just a second. Hey, um, want to just, just share something really fun with you, just really kind of cool. I appreciate, uh, so I've, I've, I took Greek in seminary, took Hebrew in seminary when I was at Asbury. It was one of the years, um, I can't remember if it was one of the first years or one of the last years. I can't remember when they changed it, but I just know I was in that, I was in that place where you had to take both Hebrew and Greek to get an MDiv degree. I think it was like the first year they started it. And so I was blessed by that because uh, as much as I struggled with Greek, oh my goodness, um, intensive classes, I believe it was June and July, 
I think I had to take, it was Monday through Friday, I had to stay in the dorm, uh, leave my family an and, uh, hour and a half, two hours away, and stay in the dorm Monday through Friday, came home Friday, and, and of course uh, saw my family Saturday, preached on Sunday, went back on Sunday night to be ready for early morning class Monday morning. And it was Greek intensive, Sun as a all, I think it was all during June and all during July. Yep, perfect way to spend the summer. And um, just digging into Greek, and it it true it challenged me I, I passed passed with a decent grade with Hebrew man I, I don't know what happened but Hebrew was during a regular semester but it was probably my favorite class of all time loved digging in and so still to this day I love Greek and Hebrew one of my I've got several different devotions I do now this year each morning and uh, of those devotions I have a Greek study and a Hebrew study and out of the Hebrew study, Something I did not know, I wanted to pass on to you here just for the next 60 seconds or so. Abracadabra is a Hebrew word. It's, an, it's a Hebrew word, and uh, it, it means I create as I speak. I create as I speak. That's what it means. Abra, one separate word, and then kadabra spelled with a K, kadabra. But it means I create as I speak. And the earliest Jewish rabbis believed that it was that word that God spoke over creation. Now, it makes sense, but it sounds a little funky to us, right? God creating the world. In the beginning, God said abracadabra. <laughs> it just doesn't fit, right? Because today we connect abracadabra with rabbits coming out of hats and stuff like that, right? And the reason it connected, the reason it began to be connected to magic was the earliest shaman um, comes from the word Baal Shems, which are teachers of Baal or followers of Baal. So shamans who are false teachers, or they were Jewish shamans, actually, who believed in the Jewish faith, but they also began to practice New Age practices. You know, there's nothing new about New Age, right? New Age is one of the oldest um, tricks of the of the devil. So, uh, But they practiced New Age practices, so they began to take that word, abracadabra, he, I create as I speak, as if it was like a magic incantation. And first they used it over people for healing purposes. And they would repeat it over and over, abracadabra, abracadabra. Well, today, of course, it's become this magic incantation, this word that we use for magic. But originally, Hebrew word simply meaning, I create as I speak. Could it have been a word spoken over all of creation? Could be. It's hard to get our minds around that, isn't it? Abracadabra. But it is a Hebrew word meaning I create as I speak. Fascinating stuff. Amen? Fascinating. So uh, love, love, love uh, digging in to the Word of God. So Lord, we just love you. We thank you so much for this day. Ask and pray wherever we are listening to this at night, in the morning, in the evening, in the afternoon, whenever. Um, ask and pray you, uh, you just enlighten us with the Word and truly uh, engage us for these next uh, 20 minutes or so. Engage us even, even in a chapter and a book that I don't particularly care for. Uh, but that's okay. It's still the Word of God. Amen? We love you, Lord. We trust you. Holy Spirit, rock HaKadosh, breathe on us today. In Jesus, your mighty name, we pray. Amen, amen. Let's go to Judges 11. And it's one of those passages you may or may not have read. You may have read in your Bible study or in your reading of the Bible through in a year, whatever it may have been. But you may not have lingered on it. It's one of those passages the Spirit of God is very evident. Ruach HaKadosh is very evident here. And yet, you see some really foolish decisions. You see some really, uh, th- you see some things happening that are not led by the Ruach HaKadosh. 
Um, and yet you see something, you see some things happening because of the Ruach HaKadosh. And I think it just gives us this real principle. Just because we're led by God, just because we're filled with the Holy Spirit, does not mean we are not immune from foolish decisions. And one of the words we're going to talk about is vows. Or is it good to make a vow? Should we make a vow? Why did Jesus say, do not make a vow? Let, let your vow be what? Yes or no? Do not make any other vows. It's either yes or no. So anyway, uh, I got to believe that he was referring to maybe this story in the book of Judges, Judges 11. So we're going to read through most of it. Uh, there's going to be a lot of names that I'm going to read through quickly and fast because I may not know how to pronounce them. <laughs> That's okay. Uh, my trick in Hebrew, my trick in reading Old Testament names sometimes is just read them really fast and no one else will know. All right. So Jephthah of Gilead was a great warrior. And you got to pay attention. Look at these. Look at this juxtaposition. Look at the oxymorons. Look at these uh, real great opposites. He was a great warrior. He was the son of Gilead, but his mother was a prostitute. So we, as we read through, you understand that the rest of the kids were not apparently children of a prostitute, but he was. Uh, verse 2, Gilead's wife also had several sons. So there's Gilead and his wife. And then these half-brothers grew up. They chased Jephthah off the land. You will not get any of our father's inheritance. Why? Because you're the son of a prostitute. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. Soon he had a band of worthless rebels following him. Now I'm reading from the New Living Translation, but when you go into the Hebrew, worthless rebels, not necessarily meaning um, uh, kind of like a, um, a band of thugs, as much as kind of like almost Robin Hood and his band of merry men. So literally, those that word worthless rebels, when you look at that in the Hebrew, it almost means like they were taking money from the rich and giving money to the poor. So they were actually, all they were kind of like a hero of sorts. So Jephthah was proving his, his hero status or his great warrior status by taking money from the rich and giving it to the poor. Um, and he had, a, he had a band of followers with him. So that's kind of what it means um, more in the Hebrew. So interesting. Again, we see Robin Hood long before we read about Robin Hood. We, re we read about a, a biblical Robin Hood. About this time, the Ammonites began their war against Israel. When the Ammonites attacked, the elders of Gilead sent for Jephthah in the land of Tob. The elders said, come and be our commander. Help us fight the Ammonites. Save us, is what they're saying. So interestingly, they've exiled uh, Jephthah because of his prostitute mom, because of his half status with the family. They, he doesn't, they don't want him to get an inheritance from the father. And yet, we want you to save us. Why? Because you're, he's a great warrior. So notice, um, God is already setting, Gilead, or setting Jephthah up. Uh, and he's, the fact, he's, he's a warrior. Even if he's got a questionable past, he had nothing to do with that, right? Interestingly, how we want to blame people for their past when they had nothing to do with their past. So Jephthah had nothing to do with his daddy and the prostitute hooking up. Uh, he had nothing to do with that. Uh, that was his daddy's fault. And yet, who's punished? <clears throat> Apparently Jephthah. But Jephthah is asked to help save the Israelites, all right? So Jephthah says to them, rightly so, in verse 7, Aren't you the ones who hated me? and drove me from my father's house, and now you come to me when you're in trouble? And verse 8, they say, well, because we need you. <laughs> Let's just be honest. If you lead us, and then they make this promise, if you lead us, here's the first vow. You'll see a couple of vows here. Uh, if you lead us in battle against the Ammonites, verse 8, we will make you ruler over all the people of Gilead. So that speaks to Jephthah's warrior heart, uh, 
pretty quickly, uh, he's saying absolutely. Uh, verse 9 says, Jephthah said to the elders, Let me get this straight. If I come with you, and if the Lord gives me victory over the Ammonites, will you really make me ruler over all the people? The Lord is our witness, the elders replied. We promise to do whatever you say. There's the vow, and you're going to see this repeated. Is this a foolish vow at this point? Probably not. I don't know if it's a foolish vow or not. Um, it's uh, certainly, here they are, um, kind of hypocritical, fickle, right? At the very least, fickle. Uh, we cast you out. Uh, we don't want you around us because of your past, but now we think you are a great warrior and you are probably the greatest warrior that, that can help us with the, 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 the Ammonites. And so bring, bring, please come back, save us. But then we're going to promise that you're going to lead us and we're going to do, in fact, whatever you say. And so there's that phrase that you're going to see again in just a little bit. It says, we promise to do whatever you say. That's a scary vow, I think, and, and this is where I think we have to be very careful with making even vows before God. And we do this a lot. Uh, we've, we, we have over the course of history. You've seen, you've heard the stories. You may made, made them yourselves. If you get me out of this situation, Lord, I'll fill in the blank. I'll serve you. Um, I'll do whatever, um, you know, if you, if you help heal me. I'll be a pastor. You know, I've heard those stories before. I remember being in an altar rail not too long ago, a few years ago, with someone at, here at Firmish Chapel. Um, we were actually having a special service. I think it was uh, one of our last healing services, and they were in a. They were. They didn't. They didn't come to Firmish Chapel, but they said, "Lord, if if as we were praying, they said, Lord, if if you heal me, or if you heal this, if you do this thing in this situation, I will become a pastor." Well, sure enough, the situation got healed or resolved. He gave credit to the Lord for that, which I think was right. And guess what? He's a pastor now. So he followed along with his vow. Um, is that the right thing to do? Eh, I don't know. Uh, I, I Probably the jury for me is still out, friends, if we're supposed to make those kind of vows before God. I, I, I just would be, you know, I'd be, and you're going to see why here. And just If you have already read the story, you kind of know the next vow leads to some serious, serious issues. So anyway, so longer version in the middle here. I'll kind of shorten it. So basically, um, so Jeff, it was interesting in verse 11, Jephthah uh, went to the elders of Gilead and the people made them their ruler and commander of the army. So they go ahead. They went ahead and made them um, the army. They made them the ruler uh, already. And then after that, Jephthah sends messengers to the king of Ammon, uh, which is the Amorites, you know, the king of the Amorites. So the king of Ammon, he's asking, why have you come to fight against my lamb? So the king of Ammon originally answered, it sounds like in a, kind of in a peaceful way, but you read, into the, you read behind it, you get to a little bit further and you realize the, the king of Ammon is ready for a fight. He doesn't really want anything peaceful, even though he says peacefully. He says, when the Israelites, as I'm reading from verse 13, when the Israelites came out of Egypt, they stole my land from the, Ar from the Arnon River, to the Jabbok River, and all the way to the Jordan. Now then, give back the land peaceably. So, um, I don't think he meant peaceably at all, because you'd see later that he doesn't really care about Jephthah's response. Jephthah's response is a long response. It starts at verse 14, and goes all the way to basically verse 27. And, and what he's saying, and Jephthah's kind of recounting some history. Guys, this is why context matters. This is why history matters. This is why culture matters. This is why if you want to be a serious student of the Word of God, 
You've got to understand the biblical context of the day. You've got to understand history. You've got to understand epochs and eras. You've got to understand the kings and the queens. You've got to understand all what's going on in that culture. You've got to understand, you've got to be a student of history. You've got to be a student of culture. And you've got to be a student, if you're going to be a student of the word, you've got to be a student of context. You have to be. Context is everything involving that. And that's one of the things, that's one of the great things about hermeneutics, which is the interpretation of scripture. If you don't know context, you are going to get context wrong. If you get context wrong, you're going to get the word of God wrong. Let me say it again. If you get the context wrong, you'll get the word of God wrong. Because it's, where do we get the saying? We took it out of context. It's because you didn't know context. You've got to know the context. So anyway, don't pass over the genealogy. Study the genealogies. Don't pass over Old Testament regulations and rules and sacrifices. Don't read, don't skim through Leviticus. Dive deep in Leviticus. Understand why there's festivals and why there's different offerings and all that. Anyway, so Jephthah goes into great detail explaining the history. I won't go all the way into it, but basically... Israel was trying to pass through, that's all, uh, coming from their trip from Kadesh on their journey from Egypt after the crossing the Red Sea. They were trying to pass through the land, whether it's Edom or Moab or wherever. They were trying to, uh, King Shion, they were trying to just pass through the land. But instead, the people, um, they didn't trust them. And so they attacked uh, Israel and the Lord gave them victory. So then Israel took control of the land only because after they had just sent, they just wanted to pass through the land. And so it was actually the God of Israel uh, in verse 23, he says, that, uh, who took away the land of the Amorites and gave it to Israel. Why then should we give it back to you? And I love this in verse 24. Listen, you keep whatever your God, Kamash, Kamash gives you, and we will keep whatever the Lord our God gives you. That, that word, uh, it looks like Kemosh, but it's, probably, it's more pronounced Kamash. So Kamash uh, is the God, uh, one of the gods. And I love what he says. So you keep whatever your God gives you, Kamash. We'll keep whatever the Lord our God gives you. And then he goes to what we talked about earlier in the last week or so. Uh, are you any better than Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab? Remember, Balaam hired Balaam to curse Israel, and Balaam would not curse Israel. So um, could not curse Israel because under the, uh, under the unction of the Holy Spirit. Um, so he refers to that and compares them to that. So um, basically, at the end of it, Israel has been living here for 300 years. In fact, if you look at all the genealogies, you look at the exact timing, it was about 300, I think it was about 300, and it turns out to be about 316 years. Um, so Israel had been living there for 316 years. So why now? Why are you, why are you making a, a, a big deal about it now? So um, let the Lord who is judged decide today which one of us is right, Israel or Ammon. And then verse 28 says, but the king of Ammon paid no attention to Jephthah's message. So at that point, we know kind of the king of Ammon doesn't really want anything to do with peaceful. They just simply want to fight. They want their land back. Look at verse 29. It's the only mention of the rural Kadosh, but it sets up the rest of the story. All right, as Paul Harvey would say. Verse 29, at that time, the spirit of the Lord, the rural Kadosh, rural Kadosh, the spirit of holy, came upon Jephthah. And he went throughout the land of Gilead and Manasseh, including Mizpah and Gilead. And from there he led an army against the Ammonites. So remember when, was it last week, right? We talked about um, uh, uh, Gideon. And if you remember, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon to do what? Mobilize an army. Once again, the Spirit of God has come upon, uh, uh, come upon a man, Jephthah, of, of questionable past, 
prostitute mama. Um, family doesn't want them. Uh, the families exiled them. The, the land basically agreed with that, but now they need them. And so here's the Spirit of God coming upon this man so that he could be used as a leader, say leader. Um, regardless of our past, regardless of what other people say, regardless of what other people even think or have done to us, the Spirit of God still wants to come upon you. And I, I really do believe this, guys. He still wants, there's still a great need in our culture for Spirit-filled, Spirit-led leaders. That's why we do the Joshua Center. The Joshua Center, the very existence of the Joshua Center is to raise up Spirit-filled leaders. And, and so there's a great, great need. And so, look at this now, but even if you're filled with the Spirit, does not mean you're not prone to emotionalism. Somebody say emotionalism. Oh, this, this is a tough one, all right? So, uh, verse, so he's, he's mobilizing the army. And then verse 30, Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. He said, if you give me victory over the Ammonites, I will give to the Lord whatever comes out of my house to meet me when I return in triumph. I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. So, in that day, got to know, right? Animals. The, the homes were open, right? Either tents or very crude homes, and they had open doors. And, and so uh, many times uh, a cow, calf, sheep would come in the house, come out the house. And so thinking that after a long time of journey, on, on, after a long time of battle, he would come home. And as he would come home, he obviously, um, uh, an animal would come out of the house because, uh-oh, the owner's home. Now the, now the, animals, <laughs> the, the animals split and scatter, right? So Jephthah, verse 20, led his army against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him victory. He crushed the Ammonites, devastating about 20 towns from Aror to, the, to an area near Minnath and as far away as Abel Karamim. That's why I go really fast on those. In this way, Israel defeated the Ammonites. Verse 34, when Jephthah returned home from Mizpah, his daughter, his only daughter, his only child, came out to meet him playing on a tambourine and dancing for joy. She was his only one and only child. She had, he had no other sons and daughter, or daughters. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in anguish. Oh, my daughter, he cried out. You have completely destroyed me. Thanks, Jephthah, for blaming her for your foolish vow. You brought disaster on me. Uh, Jephthah, I'd stop while you're behind. For I have made a vow to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. Verse 36. Pay attention. This is just amazing. Uh, she said, Father, if you made a vow to the Lord, you must do to me what you have vowed. For the Lord has given you a great victory over your enemies, the Ammonites. But first, let me do this one thing. Let me go up and roam in the hills and weep with my friends for two months because I will die a virgin. Wow, wow, wow. So, um, let's finish and then we'll make two big points. You may go, Jephthah said. And he sent her away for two months. She and her friends went into the hills and wept because she would never have children. When she returned home, her father kept the vow he had made. And she died a virgin. So it became a custom in Israel for young Israelite women to go away for four days each year to lament the fate of Jephthah's daughter. Two things. Um, first, there is a second ending to the story that some scholars would say. Um, back in the day... Um, to give up your daughter, you could give up your daughter to uh, to live as, as um, um, in the um, as a uh, a daughter 
to be assembled at the door of the tabernacle. So uh, we see this in Exodus 38, verse 8, and 1 Samuel 2.22. It's called, they're called the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. So just like Hannah gave away Samuel to live in the temple under the guidance of Eli, these women could be given away to serve at the tabernacle. Many of them were older widows. Some could have been younger virgins who wanted to give their life away in service to the, to the Lord. That could be it. Now, And I think there could be some argument for that because at the time, Moloch was this one of the gods who, um, who was, uh, they sacrificed young virgin daughters to Moloch. Uh, for different reasons in the culture, not the Israelites. The Israelites forbade that. I mean, it was forbidden to sacrifice human to have human sacrifice. So it is hard to imagine that Jephthah actually went through this vow because of that, and could have been the daughter could have been uh, sacrificed to the to the to the uh, serving in the temple as a woman who met at the assembly, who prayed and wept and fasted. For the, uh, for, the, for, the, for the Lord and for the temple. Could be. But man, it's really hard to not see those, I will die as a virgin. She returned home. Her father kept the vow he had made. She died a virgin. And then even the very last verse, now the young women go away for four days each year to lament the fate. If he kept this, it's a horrible, horrible vow. God did not want him to keep the vow. But he thought he took this vow so seriously that he had to keep this vow. And, and I think this is where emotionalism gets, gets us, right? We make these vows. We do these things. Even when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, guys, we make these vows. We make these decisions that are based on emotionalism, not on spirit-led thinking, spirit-led maturity. And I don't think, I think what should have happened here and what could have happened, I think what God would have invited to happen was Jephthah should have repented of making a foolish vow and asked the Lord to forgive him and then move on with his life. And I think God would have been very okay with that. Amen? But instead, it sounds like Jephthah followed through with a vow. Could he have sent his daughter to serve in the, temp, in the tabernacle? Could have. It could, be, it could be one theory. But it also could be a theory that he actually sacrificed her. Now, putting sin upon sin. If he, if he actually sacrificed her, he, he, he doubled his sin. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be mature in the Holy Spirit. Be not prone to sensationalism or emotionalism. Be careful with your vows. And let God lead you, even if you need to repent of a vow and repent of that moment of emotionalism. Better that than to double your sin. Amen? All right. Ugh. The book of Judges. Love you guys. Pastor Tim is the co-founder and teaching director of the Joshua Center, a leadership training ministry which provides deep biblical roots to great movements of God. He's also the senior pastor of Firmers Chapel, a country church by a creek, reaching 13 countries on four different continents for Jesus and his kingdom. Join us next time as we grow deeper in the person and the power.